This is Derek Moyer, and welcome to the Freedom Fighter Podcast. So welcome friends to another Freedom Fighter podcast, how are you all doing? Hope you're good. Uh, we're starting a new series this week on overcomers. We're interviewing those who've had to overcome great difficulties, be it in weight, be it in health, be it in business, charity work. Really want to investigate and establish the truth about our need to overcome and succeed in dealing with the specific difficulties we all faced, we're all faced with in life. And, you know, establishing the truth about, is this, is it to him who doesn't face any obstacles and problems? and uh, Or to him who overcomes his problems is the promise given? What does the Bible say about that? And do we need to be intimidated or discouraged by the difficulties we face? Or is this an opportunity to call the uh, forth the, the life of God within us and make full use of it? So we're going to delve into these things. So really, really excited about that. In this first recording, I am privileged to be interviewing old friends of mine, Paul and Pauline Tuthill. Paul has got a story of of uh, overcoming that is just it's incomparable to to to, to many others. I can assure you. Paul became fifty eight and a half stone. Yeah, I said that's I did I didn't I didn't uh, miss him. You didn't miss him there. Fifty eight and a half stone. After a, an injury, which resulted in a real downward spiral in his life, and uh, you know, so I'm I'm interviewing on him. I'm interviewing him all the implications of that, the mental health, the things that that that, that you know that the impact that had in his family, lying lying in a wheelchair for four and some years, watching uh, bedbound in his living room for a year over over a year while his children are growing up around him and he's he's seen life pass him by. It is tragic at parts. But, you know, this is a story of hope, if ever there's one, that somebody can overcome, somebody who's learned to deal with, successfully deal with the difficulties that he's facing him and his weight and his health. So this is going to be broken into two parts because it was that long. So I'm just breaking it down into two parts. The first part uh, will be released the day and then the second part next week. So guys, I pray it really blesses you as you're listening. How you doing, guys? Good. Very good, good. thanks. Good, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. It's been a long time. It's been too long. Very long time. <laughs> I Probably the last time we saw each other was my wedding day. Because he's moved, I think he's moved to Inverness and you've been up there. And so, aye, it's been a long time. A long time. long time then. But I'm really, really grateful, really grateful that I'm getting the opportunity to share ways and share in your story to hear your story um, so this first um, recording on this series of Overcomers um, I invited Paul and Pauline because it's been a journey for both of you to share his story um, that, and it is it is a, a, a mountain of a story that you know um, Paul's difficulties with his weight over the years and all the implications and the, the, you know, the consequences of that. So, Paul, can I just ask you, just yeah, uh, and Paul, if you might contribute as well, just a wee bit of background of what was going on for you, what was the 
detail of what happened to you, how you became like that? Sure. Um, so the easiest thing for me to do is I will try and give a timeline and give sort of a version of events. And when I get it wrong, Polly will enter. And As every good wife does. That's really what's going to happen to <laughs> So, um, going back in time, we're going back to February 2010, and I was an adult student. I was going to be studying theology mm-hmm. in Glasgow. I was living in Ayrshire, Stevenson, down the bottom end, for those who maybe recognise that. Um, <laughs> and I was just leaving the house to go to that university course that day, and I would slip down three small steps on ice. And I remember the, the excruciating pain was incre- incredible. And I would immediately see a change in my mobility. I felt uh, I felt difficult to walk properly. Mm-hmm. And uh, over the next couple of weeks, shortly after that, I would get another sort of a injury to the back. And finally, finally, I was in university uh, in the moved to our classroom and I would end up stuck in this fixed position on a seat and when they blew by their, they said oh we'll just do the course right through, we won't go for a break Mm. when I left that seat I never walked again properly until roughly about 2019 Um, so I would be in a lot of pain Mm. Um, I was limited, I mean I, I was finding even walking, I had to, so after that course that day, I found it impossible to really walk even from my house to uh, any public transport or anything. I was struggling to walk pretty much more than 50 metres without being in excruciating pain. Mm. Um, and then I couldn't sit down either. That that coccygeal area would be so painful. I was sitting on about six cushions for about six years. I just could not get any relief mm. from my uh, back. Um, eventually, I'd be put on a series of medications, and one of the things quite quickly the doctors saw in my case was I was putting on weight rapidly, mm-hmm. and uh, those series of medications would be put up more and more. And sometimes a bit of a change because I wasn't really getting the pain relief; I was in excruciating pain all the time. Mm-hmm. So when once that. Uh, they could see this trend, he's putting on weight, he's putting on weight, he's putting on weight. Um, it started going, should we be giving them this? And they'd have to go to an ethical council. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed like it was fine. I was getting more desperate. Time had slipped. I'd been in pain for many years. I would have took anything that anyone offered me mm-hmm. if I thought there was any relief at the end of it, mm-hmm. regardless of the outcome. And... That's really sort of a trend where we see the weight going on and on. Eventually in 2000 and I think it's 14. So I've, I've went on getting progressively worse with my mobility. Mm-hmm. And I think in 2014, that is when I have an incident where I'm at home mm-hmm. and suddenly a loss of sensation in the legs, loss of bodily functions. Well, while I'm trying to get up, mm-hmm. and uh, there it became a, medic, a, me, a medical emergency. Mm-hmm. So I have to go to a hospital uh, emergency, taken by ambulance to the hospital, stabilise my back. And when I get in, the eventually after seeing the consultants, they say, we think you have a, what they call a suspected cordia equina. Mm-hmm. It's where all your nerve endings are coming through the back. Uh, it looks like a horse's tail. 
And if they don't treat that within 24 hours, that often leaves you with no con- no, no continence mm-hmm. or bowels or things. Um, and potentially you, you won't be able to walk again. Mm-hmm. So that was it. The big thing, the big push was on get this man to an MRI so we can repair whatever has went on. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would turn out that I was one stone too heavy for the MRI machine. Right. And the person just didn't want to put me in it, didn't want to push the boundaries of the MRI machine. And really that was uh, uh, the opportunity for the doctor to come round and say, well, Paul, we've looked at all your um, information and we can see there's a complicated back history going back now to 2010. Obviously what happened there had been unstable mm-hmm. and this is now finally... Uh, that that catastrophic injury is, you know, became unstable and now we're at this place for me um, the prognosis was from the doctor that first of all I would be on pain meds for the rest of my life and the use of the wheelchair would be permanent I'd have to just rely on a wheelchair for the rest of my life and uh, that was it now there was you know, tell the this the bit about how I could oh when we got the other consultant's appointment well when we went to see the consultant about going to an MRI yeah so we went to see the consultant to get him sorted for another MRI and I had found an open MRI scanner in Newcastle and had printed off all the documentation for it and took it to the consultant's appointment and said can you sign this because if you sign it we'll take him to Newcastle and that way, you know, it's, it's still in the NHS, but indeed it's signed off by a, a doctor in, in Scotland. And he, he pushed the bit of paper across the table to me and said, I'm not signing that. And then he said, we're not going to do anything with Paul's back because, one, I don't think we can fix it. A back's one of those things that, um, you know, we, we don't even know what's going on with it, so we wouldn't even be able to look at it. Mm-hmm. And two, you know, his weight now that would be that would be it. So he's going to be on pain meds for the rest of his life and, and that's it, basically. So Paul was 34 at the time and the doctor just wrote him off and said, we'll refer you to the pain therapy clinic and that was it. And in his mind, that was it. That was Paul so done. How, how, how were you, I mean, that must have been horrific news, hopeless news to receive and to process, you know, when it's, you know, the, the, the timeline of, 2010 is injuries and then progressively getting worse to then hear you know you're going in a wheelchair yeah, how did you cope with that Pauline how how on earth did you process and try to come to terms with your husband is going to be in pain meds and in a wheelchair the rest of his life well for me it was a little bit different because I'm quite an upbeat person so I was like oh yeah we'll be fine we can manage that as you know we'll do x y and z and mm-hmm. like try and keep Paul upbeat but actually I know that that appointment was a big turning point in Paul's mental health like Mm. he just I mean he doesn't like when I say it but he did just give up he just thought oh well that's it end of you know and he'd look he's smiling because he doesn't like that you know he did say to me continuously you said I gave up but well you did actually I seen it I seen it happening your your mental health went very downhill quickly at that point um he he ended up in the local um, psychiatric hospital for a week uh, in New Craig because he got signed into there yeah. um, pretty quickly. 
um, after that, it was about maybe six months after that diagnosis, he he tried to take pain meds and kill himself. Like, and then that was quite difficult. Um, but it was it, it was kind of like it was just a cry for help. Like he wasn't. I know that Paul wasn't trying to actually go anywhere. He was just like a, he couldn't cope with this diagnosis. Of course, and, um, totally understand. Yeah, and when you were in New Craigs, you did kind of find a bit of hope again you did yeah, turn to God I mean, you it, were... was, it was funny so I mean first of all addressing that that uh, being told you'll never walk again he's a, he's a medical professional and everyone's going oh he's a wonderful doctor he's a wonderful doctor so therefore uh, he's not going to tell you lies and he's not going to say anything that's untrue mm-hmm. and he's a medical man right. so that was definitely a uh, that's where we could say I don't think he was some evil villain, mm-hmm. um, and but to be told that by someone in authority, mm-hmm. therefore I can see what, what, and it's very difficult. I was battling a two-fold problem. Mm-hmm. My weight was getting very, very big. What, what, so stone, what kind of what kind of weight were you at this point? About 20, about it was 20, more than 20, that. No, because when we went to when we went to Greece, you were only 34 stone, only. But you were right, like, okay, okay. <laughs> so yeah, you were about um, 28. Okay, I'm somewhere approaching the 30 stone, yeah, somewhere right. in that area. Um, and the, you know, even Paulie mentioned it in the doctor's appointment where he said, you know, with his weight being where it is, mm-hmm. and that was. So what people were seeing was a very overweight guy, mm-hmm. uh, and. They would often. That's when you presented to people. When you, regardless if your head was hanging off, no. that one thing they would be like, you know, uh, no. your weight would be a uh, consideration. No. And how often you were dealt with individuals was always. It didn't matter whether it was a medical professional or just simply going through the town. Your weight would become the everything. There was no. In fact, often there was no sympathy for anything else, whether if your arm had been no. cut off. But you're late, you know, there was a sort of a, you had done this to yourself in some ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was quite difficult. But the thing is, going forward with, you're getting bigger, you're at 30 odd stone, now it doesn't matter if you lost one or two stone at that point, you, you need a radical change, wow. even at 30 odd stone, yeah. to kind of get you in a place where you feel you can maybe get your, your, your old life back again. Mm-hmm and have good mobility, whether you had no back problem or not. So there was this, and then you had a doctor saying you couldn't walk. And I now know, I now know, looking back, working through it all, um, did I give up? I don't, I probably did, but was it more a resignation to, uh, and overwhelming, how do you, you know, you've won, if people who are watching this, they, they might not be those big, big weights, but even if they're in the sort of a over five stone weight where they want to be, they'll know that uh, that is a just trying to address your weight alone is very, very difficult. Then you're putting into it your mental health is starting. If your mental health is starting to slip, because by the way, I've been immobile, I'm also becoming more and more social isolated during these years. I've gave up the university course. I'm doing things online. Mm-hmm. I'm hardly getting out. Mm-hmm. When I'm going out, it's it's uh, the pain's a lot. It's very difficult for me to do that. So I'm retreating into the home. And Derek, 
hysterical, remember, that you were not a, yeah. a, a, you were a social butterfly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm retreating into the home, so the mental health is really starting to factor in. Mm-hmm. And then you have a, a medical profession saying, you know, you'll never walk. So in some respects, when I was really down and I thought, if I, if I was trying to, like, oh, I'll try and address this, I'll try and address that. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, I now see the lie was I had a get-out clause. Mm-hmm. Medical professions wrote me off. Therefore, what, is, what, what does it exactly. What does it matter? What, if, I, if I lost all my weight, what does it matter? I still can't get my legs back. Mm-hmm. Or what happened, you know, uh, mental health. It, it didn't matter if you meant presented yourself with mental health or whatever. Right. Uh, I had very poor mental health. But then you were misdiagnosed on that as well. Yeah, then I was given a diagnosis of borderline, uh, borderline personality disorder, <laughs> which I, I, I mean, you've got to bear in mind, I've now got, a diag- I've, my mental health's very bad. I'm absolutely huge overweight. I'm getting bigger and bigger. It's not getting any smaller. I'm getting into the 35s, the 40s, eventually into the 50 stones. And um, uh, I've I've got this diagnosis as well, where it sort of fits it fits my narrative at that time. I was just and but I, I was broken. I put them on that. I went yeah. into one of Paul's because uh, they were putting them on another medication that they knew would put on weight rapidly, mm-hmm. and they took it to the ethics board, and the ethics board said, "Well, you know." Like, for his mental health sake, we'll just put him on it, whether he puts weight on or not. Mm-hmm. Even though he was already, like, I think you were about 37 stone at the time yeah. when they decided to put him on this medication. And uh, so I fought with his psychologist, who then told me, what do I know? Because you're just a lay person and I've studied psychology. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, but borderline personality disorder usually shows in the teenage years. Mm-hmm. And I've been with Paul since he was 18 years old. I know he doesn't fit what you're saying that he fits into. Mm-hmm. Would it not be more? Would it not be more of a? Um, what was it? I thought it was. I, I, I don't like adjustive. Like adjust, like an adjustive type thing. Like he can't adjust to this new what they've told him, rather than borderline. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. He's got borderline. We're putting him on this pill. Mm-hmm. That's it. End of. So that was really pushing up the waist. I mean. So you can see we've got a three-pronged problem now. We've got massive weight. Mm-hmm. All the psychologists are telling you, it's okay, you're, you're like this because you've got this condition, this mental health condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you, you also have... conforming to that. Oh, I definitely did. He I, I bought into it. Like he started going, yeah, I do have that. And then yeah, like started was... giving over the sort of... Like prints of a borderline personality yeah. disorder. I definitely seem to morph into it. I definitely morph into that role mm-hmm. of having it, yeah. and then I morphed into you know even though I was to- obviously I did have great difficulty mobilising. My pain levels were off the charts, but um, I'd also also had this diagnosis of not being able to walk. So mm-hmm. it's just a perfect storm, mm-hmm. and breaking one cycle was never going to deal with all three mm-hmm. cycles. That's what I thought. That's what I thought, anyway. And the contrib- what, what I'm hearing is, for the first, cause hearing this for the first time, all the contributing factors that that you know that weight problems obviously contributes to poorer mental health problems, eh, to poorer mm-hmm. mental health, and then having pain contributes to poorer mental health. You know what I mean, I'm going to feel if I'm constantly wanting about pain, I'm going to feel low moods, 
how how do I process that? How do I how do I try and find a better perspective about that? So then to have that diagnosis in the midst of all that, when you're already hopeless, looking ahead, looking uh, totally overwhelmed, looking at you know all these doomsday reports of you're never going to walk again, and then the next man, oh here, compound the problem even more and give you you know this this, this uh, psychologically this is this is the, the box I'm putting into you with this. So Tim. You yeah, to, sorry, yeah, on top, on top of that as well, I suppose, that, like, I was doing all your personal care. Like, I was washing yeah. Paul. He had to use a commode in the dining room because the occupational ther- therapist had banned him from using their bathroom. Mm-hmm. We were in property that wasn't suitable. Mm-hmm. So they had said, no, he is not allowed to use that toilet. He's not allowed to use that shower. Um, so at that point, they had put forward for funding for carers for Paul to help yeah. him. So I was in a hospital bed yeah. in a dining room the dining just room. off from the living room. Yeah. And that was my, my, my bedroom. How long? I slept by myself. How long for? Over a I year. About a year bed. and a half. I was in there by myself the for a year room, yeah. and a half. But I had the hospital bed for years. Um, but they got this hospital bed, put it in a commode. And that was it. That was... The kids went... You know, the kids... There was a wee kind of curtain for a bit of privacy, mm-hmm. and when everyone else went off to their rooms, you know, I was like shuffled through or wheeled through to um, the, dining the dining room to go to sleep for the night. Uh, and to be honest, most nights I would go to sleep thinking I don't want to wake up again. That's where I was at. I mean, and if I wasn't actively trying not to wake up again, but I, think I did difficult. have that feeling. I think you found it difficult that I was doing all your personal care and being your wife. Oh, it was hard. Like, I mean, just... Like, life was going by. Life, yeah. People, they were going on little holidays mm. or little day trips and the kids and would working. come in and sit with you maybe after school. Pauline was working all the time uh, and then we had a little bit of time in the morning when she was doing some personal care and a bit of time in the evening and then... But she was tired. She had to go to her bed and the day... You just go by, you're sitting all day by yourself in the house with the odd carers coming in. And, well, no, that well, never that happened. Have, uh, happen until <laughs> so later for, on, sorry. The, the, the funding for the carers uh, was approved in the January of 2015. Yeah. yeah. And they kept saying they didn't have anybody, they didn't have anybody that could care for them. Um, so I think it was the October of 2015 I lost it. <laughs> And uh, I actually wrote a letter to, well, an email to our local MSP mm-hmm. saying, you know, this is ridiculous. I'm working full time. We've got three kids. I'm trying to keep house. I'm doing my husband's personal care. I'm exhausted and I'm going to burn out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, a- apart from when I could take Paul out of the house, I was dead lifting a 48 kilogram wheelchair into the boot of a car. Mm-hmm. You know, and then pushing Paul and this heavy mm. wheelchair about to try and get him. It. So it did. We did. It did stop you getting out more because I was like, I just can't. I can't yeah, go out. I, mean, I can't go out. Just so much energy that you can throw at the situation, and mm. obviously, Pauline, Paul, like so. In hindsight, we can all see that through the right support, I'm obviously not sitting here today in fifty half stone, yeah. right? But. Uh, and and things can be resolved. That's that's what this yeah. story's going to reveal. Yeah. That, <laughs> that life doesn't, your reality doesn't have to match what everyone else says it's going to be. Yeah. You can you can forge a, a new path, and obviously that's you know with God that's the reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, um, your re- you know your, your, what what everyone's saying about you, what you believe about yourself doesn't have to play out the way that you think about mm. but 
So she's also looking and in desperation going, why is this guy not challenging these things? But really, it wasn't that I didn't want to challenge I just felt overwhelmed. And when things were difficult, it was much easier, much easier to to deal with the overwhelmingness just to say, well, I have this, this, and this. And therefore, just it's li- not my thing. You know, I'm li- not going to be able to li- do li- about them. Lie down to it. Lie down to it instead of o- learning how to overcome. And I, I mean, honestly, Pauline, I sit here and awe you because that is what a mountain you you have carried the, the burdens that you've carried uh, through that the, the years and I mean you said Paul you were in the wheelchair for how many years? So we went and ultimately, uh, ultimately four years in a wheelchair before that he didn't know five years in the wheelchair because you had your with... manual one the only reason why I wouldn't have been in a wheelchair earlier is they just never gave me one you know, I, had yeah. to, I had to you did, no but you did have a mobility scooter you had that for two years yeah, before they actually gave you a wheelchair but even that was difficult to use. So, so, Pauline, you've obviously through all these personal care, the the mobility issues. You know, you've that. You know, this has been a real team team uh, effort, really. You know, you've had to take a massive share, and even in the parenting, and you think of the. I can imagine Paul lying in your bed, and been so immobile, and looking on as you say when your kids are going away. You know. All the time, didn't they? Because they were like, "Oh, Dad can't." Like they'd be cheeky, or they would take something for the kitchen, and Paul would go, oh, "Don't take that," and they would just walk up by him up the stairs because they knew that he couldn't go up after them. You know, there was a lot of. The, I mean, the kids have been through it as well, I suppose. But, mm-hmm. um, but the I think the driving thing is <laughs> the, the the main thing was see when we contacted that MSP and people are always slating uh, politicians, right? Mm. But that man, within, so he got the email, I think it was on a, a Tuesday or a Wednesday, mm-hmm. and you had your carers the next day. He got the email, and the next morning, a carer, a carer turned up at our door. Wow. We didn't know they were coming. They just turned up, and they went, oh, we're here to do the care for Paul. Mm-hmm. And then later on that day, I got an email from the MSP saying, I'm hoping this is sorted. Mm-hmm. We've spoken to the council. You should have carers. Mm-hmm. But they'd already been that morning. So he got, he then got care morning and evening the evening stuff was a little bit touch and go for a while but eventually they got into a routine of sending people at night Mm -hmm, so Paul then had carers doing his personal Mm -hmm, care mm -hmm. so it was obviously that that in itself was was a kind of lying down to who wants total strangers and sometimes to be honest in the evening you couldn't do anything else at that time because nah. you weren't allowed to use the bathroom I know that's what I'm saying but <laughs> it was a, I know it was like I know what you mean but how were you how were you how were you experiencing that was what, what was the, the, the debilitating was it debilitating uh, resignation and, and helplessness yeah so, I mean it was like it was like um, take uh, when we're talking about pride, I'm not talking about perhaps necessarily that kind of spiritual pride, um, but just it was strangers. You had your dignity. Uh. You you had people that you had never known. Mm-hmm. People, and to be honest, the con- care, the continuity it was always a different carer mm-hmm. regularly, um, mm-hmm. and you were that you were very exposed. Mm-hmm. Now, fortunately for me. But that, that's, what, what other options? So there was a kind of line down in the sense that mm-hmm. I, I just had to, mm-hmm. to get on with it mm-hmm. and met some nice people during it and I tried to, um, but it was, it was, it was 
your dignity was gone. You know, your your dignity was gone. But you, how you handled it, you know, I was. You just try and be. You just, you just get through it. Mm-hmm. You just get through it. It was something that I needed, and it was something they were prepared to do. But then and that was, I would say, that was the start of the turning of stuff. Was that MP, MSP? Oh yeah, because he then he was the one that helped with the housing as well. Right. You know, like in that in that same email I had wrote to him about how the housing was unsuitable and mm-hmm. that Paul couldn't use the bathroom and he couldn't use the toilet. You know, and um, and that we were on a waiting list, but there was just no suitable housing. So you've like, had to overcome tremendous uh, hurdles. Yeah. Paul, can yeah. I, I mean, take you? Can I take you back to you started saying about challenging it? So you know this. This, uh, you know, what, you know, pattern you were talking about there. How, how, how important was that in the eventual turning of this situation around from feeling like you were lying down to eventually, you know, challenging the the ideas, the the the, the diagnoses, the the thoughts that you just had agreed and accepted. Um, okay. Well, I think I think what we'd be better off doing is I'll I'll take the viewers and the listeners mm-hmm. just to the point of the change, right. the change. So I have started, you know, I've had that event, I've been taken to hospital, I've had multiple diagnoses, and I'm carrying on with life. That will take me through to the 7th of September, 2017. Mm-hmm. And during about six months previous to that, I'd had a series of DVTs and pulmonary embolisms. What is a DVT? What's a DVT? Well, it's a deep vein thrombosis right. and... In his legs and his lungs. And right. blood clots in his legs lungs. and lungs. Yeah. Okay. So, um, which, you know, only one in, it's got a one in three survival rate getting pulmonary embolisms. It's a killer. And I'm I, misdiagnosed on that one as well. Yeah, they didn't originally. They said you had the flu and sent him home. Oh, you've got a chest infection and sent him home. But then I got, I got it and then I got <laughs> sorted. But ultimately, um, I'd had that event as well. So they told me you've got six months to live. Now, I had, even though at that point, that 2017, I had effectively been almost in the house for four years by myself, except for family and friends coming visiting, and uh, about getting out about two hours a week. I thought, you know, it was just maybe getting to, to a certain event once a week, and that was it. I was stuck in the house, and my mental health was just spiraling. I was just getting worse. And eventually, when he, the doctor had said, you know, you had like a year to live, mm-hmm. my legs were at that point when I had, so September 2017, I'll tell the viewers and listeners where I was, I had my ankle area and my calf area was just, it was a metre in circumference. That is massive. They'd have to go and get a bit of yeah, get a tape and rug. That's how low I was at my calf area. Um, this is when you were uh, heaviest. You were 58 stone at that point. Wow. 58 and a half stone at my heaviest. Mm-hmm. So September 17, uh, I'd, I'd just been told I'd had six months to live, six months, uh, a year to live, mm-hmm. six months earlier. My mental health was spiralling. And to be honest, another six months on September the 7th, 2017, another six months seemed too long for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't want that. And I would have a, I'd take a massive overdose. Now, this overdose would have killed most people. But I was so big. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was measured eventually in that hospital admission, 
the 58 and a half stone. And that was the only thing that really, my being so big was the thing that saved my life on that occasion. Yeah, um, well, that and God, well, <laughs> that and God yeah. yeah. But, we're, but, but we can see that that was, how did, how did we overcome that thing? Mm-hmm. Now, when I went and met that, I met a certain consultant who told me, you know, I had a year left to live. My body couldn't continue this way. Nothing could continue this way. Um, and that's yeah. one of the things is we talk about attitudes. We talk about how do people help someone? Well, this, this, this was like monumental. I had met every single consultant and they had treated me almost like I deserved it. I'm big, not controlled your way. Therefore, anything that's happened to you, it was a very persecutive environment, mm-hmm. especially in the NHS. Mm-hmm. It, it is. That's the sad reality. It was at times. And on my journey, I met a handful of people. I still have contact with those nurses and doctors mm-hmm. that helped me okay. along the way. Sometimes it was just like, I feel, how, did, how, how are you in this scenario? But that is what the consultant said to me. He just said, I don't understand how a guy your age speaking to you why, why have we not helped you? Why have we not got your help? And one of the things he set about doing was to, to try and, you know... Hold on, slightly prior to that, you had that... What was the psychologist that you went to? Oh, well, uh, yeah, I did. That was, slightly uh, yeah, yeah. Before, that was just slightly before that. What was his name? Uh, Dr. Sandeep. Dr. Sandeep, who was amazing, because he actually turned around and said, yeah, Paul, you do not have borderline. You don't have it. He said, you've definitely got an adjustment disorder of some description. And he said, and he was, he did help your mental health because he said to Paul, stop watching the TV. Stop watching, your brain's eating itself. Stop watching the TV. You need to start reading books. And he said to him, just read, I think, I mean, obviously it wasn't a Christian book, but he said, go and read George Orwell, 1984, Paul, and then come back and see me and we'll have a book group and we'll discuss it. Now that one thing, stopped your brain yeah, from overdriving. Yeah, it gave me a series of it? books that we would go on to read mm-hmm. and discuss key attributes. So sort of like, if you've never, if you've never read People of the Abyss by Jack London, go and read that. Um, <laughs> but uh, in 1984, and anyway, uh, one of the things he was saying was, so when I went to see him, I'd, I'd obviously I'd, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd had multiple suicide attempts. That's the reality. September the 7th was just one of them. Mm-hmm. I'd had multiple um progressively getting worse mm-hmm. and when he saw me he I said he's like what what do you expect me to do for you mm-hmm. and I said this is what I want this is what I want for you I want you to give me a pill that I'll wake up every single day mm-hmm. and I don't care if I know whether I'm I, I, I will I'll be in oblivion I want oblivion give me a pill that will give me oblivion mm-hmm. and he said Paul there is no pill that can give you oblivion there is no pill that can help you. Mm. Not a pill problem. Mm-hmm. It's you need to change your what you're doing. You need to change all that, and, and that was a, definitely a big catalyst. It would move me, shift me from watching uh, a lot of spending a lot of time, fourteen hours or whatever my waking day was, front of television or movies. Mm-hmm. And he was saying one of the key things was that all the narratives that you're hearing in your head mm-hmm. is because of what you're watching mm-hmm. is. Um, is it cannibalizes your brain and he gave me a wonderful example uh he was looking at the the, the uk mm-hmm. and he was saying you know we we spend a fortune on on our our bodies mm-hmm. 
we spend a fortune on our bodies. We go to gyms, we go to things like that. Mm-hmm. And he said, but we neglect the mind. And that's where we're experiencing. We're, we're getting a rest of our body. We're getting everything good. Our house is good. We're getting our cars good. We're getting our bodies good. Yeah. We're getting our clothing good. But we neglect our mind. Mm-hmm. Now, he wasn't coming from it from any great point of view. He was just saying that this kind of bringing the, you know, this consumption of media uh, affects our minds. Mm-hmm. It affects our circadian rhythm. The, the, the light that we're looking at from TV is having an impact on our brain. Yeah. That's what all the doctor conventions are about, mm-hmm. how screens affect our, our brains now. Mm-hmm. It's causing mental health problems. So a shift away from that onto, and it was immediate. The effects were, and when I left it, I never had a pill. Mm-hmm. I never had a pill. I never got the pill that I wanted yeah. for a body. But I then got a shift into um, more reading, trying to limit TV time. That was definitely a big improvement. But I would have a slip. I would have a slip. Mm-hmm. And September the seventh, uh, the seventh of September, two thousand seventeen, I was my, my big slip. I'd be in hospital. I've had an overdose, and. Uh, that was it. I managed to survive it because, you know, miraculously I managed to survive it. Mm-hmm. You can say my weight definitely saved me in some respects mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. And eventually, a couple of days later, by the time I come through, I come through that whole all the, the the medicines process through the body, and you can kind of so have clarity of thought again. Mm-hmm. My sister phones me up and she says, "Paul, um, would." Well, effectively, she said, I've had an idea. What's the purpose of me having access to money and you being dead? If I got you surgery, we, we might not be able to help you with your walking, but we could address your weight. Would you take bariatric surgery? Mm-hmm. Now, what I failed to get onto the point was when I saw that consultant, he had tried five times to go to a medical council within the NHS area. And five times they came back and said to him, that guy will never be a successful candidate for bariatric surgery. Mm-hmm. So that, doctor, that same doctor had, had done all of the groundwork for that. Like He worked out that Paul was costing the NHS £285,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Prescriptions and equipment and mm-hmm. consultants and hospital stays. Mm-hmm. And the NHS had to pay, what, 2500 1500 for an op? Yeah. And that's all they had to pay. And he said he seen in Paul something that said this guy's going to do it. Mm-hmm. And he told the NHS this guy will do it. And they said, Nah, he won't. He won't. Not in that way. So he won't. I was told I was unsuccessful. But my sister had. Uh, I, I said gladly, gladly I'll take that help. I, I did believe that there was going to be a, a great help for having that done. Mm-hmm. And uh, anywho, I would carry on with that conversation with my sister I would be, I would be booked in for roughly the 8th of November mm-hmm. 2017 yeah. so one two months later I would or eight weeks effectively I would have my consultants to get because it's been paid for there's money there now and in that time I thought well I'll make a bit of effort we've all seen the, the shows My 600 Pound Life you've got to lose a little bit of weight mm-hmm. to show that you're willing yeah. so that's what I thought I'd do I'd done a little bit of dieting mm-hmm. it was hard going I was kept very rigid. Well, I lost about two stone in that, that time, which is probably, possibly now I could see. No, I think you lost more than that because you were 50, 
I, uh, if I could get into the right weight category for it. So I had to lose some, what was it, 10, 10 stone? stone? I had to lose 10 stone for that, right? <laughs> um, so that was a, there was a milestone. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a doctor who had just said to me, looked me in the eyes and said, why, you know, he never treated me with content. He says, he saw me as an individual, he never saw my weight and just said, this is, this should, you know, how's this happened to a man like you yourself, you know? Well, we'll, we'll get into that, that on this. He yeah, that. He, he was like, he did feel there was a, a, de- a degree of neglect going on in my care to get this bad. But ultimately, um, I left there and I was a bit discouraged. But at the same time, there was a lot to play for. There was a milestone. If I lost 10 stone, a consultant was prepared to get me into a wheel. That was going to be a life changer. Mm-hmm. Having a powered wheelchair mm-hmm. meant Polly wasn't going to be able to push me. Up. She didn't have to push me about mm-hmm. the place. I could go for walks by myself. Well, I could go. For, <laughs> I could go for wheels by myself. Yeah. I could go out by myself. So it was uh, around the local community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was. In, I was insensitive. Insensitive. I think so. Yeah, that's the one. Right. So I was in that position. Uh. Uh, is this when Alec Muir said to you as well, you, the wee story about the bike? Is that that's time? Yeah, well, no, no, no that happened. That happened year before. So right. Alec Muir had came up to visit me, and at that time I would be approximately somewhere between the fifty-eight and a half stone to maybe just a few stone lighter than that. Yeah. And I was sitting there, and he came up, and it was it was a lovely visit. It was a lovely visit. I enjoyed seeing him, uh, seeing an old pal. And uh, but he said to me, he was. He was doing some stuff with some a bike charity sort of mm-hmm. thing and he'd be coming up to collect bikes that's why he was in the area mm-hmm. and he went and said to me now bear in mind I'm in a wheelchair but I'm slumped at a couch at that for that visit mm-hmm. and uh, he said to me Paul I have a bike that will be brilliant for you um, <laughs> it's green and white but I will not go into it. I have a bike that is brilliant for you yeah. and you're going to uh, he goes I'll give you uh, see when you're 25 stone I'll give you now, at that time in my... I, I thought I was exiting the planet. I had no intention of... It wasn't that I had no intention of losing weight. I'd just been overwhelmed with everything. I, it wasn't really... I would love to have lost weight. Mm-hmm. I'd love to have walked. I'd love to be on a bike, but I didn't see her. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember feeling a bit sort of like, what a cheek saying that to a guy in my situation. I've got a bike for you, but you've got to be 25 stone. Yeah. I'll never be on a bike. Um, I'd also had a bike injury, about a bike-related injury. Mm-hmm. It was right at the very, very start when I went and first hurt my back. I tried to go out on a bike and rotated my coccyx, and that would leave a permanent misshaping of coccygeal area. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I never even thought, even if I was normal weight, I'd ever be back on a bike because the doctor said you'll never be back on a bike mm-hmm. again because of this thing. So a lot of you'll never but be did this. That not get healed that we went to. That that bit down there, it did. It did actually. That that was what. Yeah. A guy from Australia that did healing ministry. John Miller. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. John Miller, and he paid for Paul's back, and that that part of the back did get healed. The rest of it never. But that did. Sort of the things to get sorted. But funnily enough, remember people, maybe your listeners and viewers will remember way way back. I'd say. I'd had to sit on like six cushions. Mm-hmm. So I went to this meeting because it was a healing meeting I was invited. And I thought, well, what have, I got? What, what have you got to lose? Sometimes people out here listening to us today, mm-hmm. if you're getting invited to something, mm-hmm. what have you got to lose? Mm-hmm. Nothing. So anyway, I ended up going mm-hmm. and, uh, with my six cushions <laughs> on. So all these big, massive NHS sort of like pads, mm-hmm. uh, seeing an old folks home. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, 
um, I'm sitting on it and I go up the front and, and to be honest, I'm called forward and to be honest, it wasn't like, I, obviously, I think I experienced a bit of heat in my back where he prayed. Um, but as I walked back, it was really like that moment of testing with it. Has it worked? You know, mm-hmm. it was really about did it work? Did it not work? Mm-hmm. Where was it at? And to my absolute surprise, now you think I would have should have been encouraged from this moment forward, but we're all we're all sort of a frail. Yeah. Um, I I took the cushions away. Now it was a plastic hard seat, mm-hmm. and they were particularly. Oh, the dog likes to let us know that the <laughs> the phone's ringing. Aye, <laughs> the dog likes to know it's not the phone's ringing. So um, it would be a particularly uh, hard thing to sit on one of those chairs, mm-hmm. but because the pain was, I mean, we're talking like mind bendingly, like, cannot think of anything else kind of pain. Mm-hmm. And I took the cushion away and I sat down on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took all the cushions away and I sat down. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't instantaneous, but I was like, Oh, I can sit on this, mm-hmm. and then by the end of the by the end of the meeting, but maybe another half an hour later, mm-hmm. I still hadn't put the cushion back. And to be honest, that was the end of it. I'd never ever used cushions in that area again. Mm-hmm. From six of these massive cushions, mm-hmm. trying to take all strategical place to keep no pressure off, right. to suddenly sit on hard things and be able to enjoy a church service to some degree, right. sitting on these. So that was a, a definite miracle. So guys, thanks for listening. That's the end of part one. Uh, I'll release part two next week. God bless you. This has been the Freedom Fighter Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to connect with our services or you want more info or details about upcoming events, connect with us online at www.freedomfighter.life or drop us an email at info at freedomfighter.life. Until next time, God bless you.